In a world awash in euphemisms and blatant lies, calling something by its proper name is rebellious in itself. Bitcoin is about freedom and self-sovereignty, not about asking for permission. It is about independence and verifiable truth, extreme ownership and responsibility, hope and human rights. The best way to fight bad ideas and bad terminology is with good ideas and good terminology. Thus, we should all make an effort to call things by their proper names, try to understand their inner workings, and explain them in simple terms to others. The Best in Bitcoin Made Audible I am Guy Swan, and this is Bitcoin Audible. What is up, guys? Welcome back to Bitcoin Audible. I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. And we have got another read today. This one from Gigi. I talked about this one uh, last week. Um, still been slow on getting these episodes out, I know. But uh, well, I'm still working back here, still recording as much as I can uh, every single day. And it's getting easier. So... I'm, you know, fingers crossed. I also uh, post uh, posted the uh, Bitbox uh, video, the the ASMR experience video on Twitter. If you haven't seen it, then you're missing out. It's the greatest video that has ever been made. <clears throat> Bitbox. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, actually, let's let's thank our sponsors real quick. Um, because we're gonna get right into this read. This is uh, this is a fascinating. A uh, little piece, actually. Gigi always has great writings. Um, this one's called The Words We Use in Bitcoin, and it's about why the way we describe things and the way we, the terminologies we use to describe things matter in how we relate to them. And the, the metaphors matter in how people will think about them and they can and are being used as an attack on Bitcoin and why. So, great little piece. Uh, real quick, uh, I just want to thank uh, the Bitbox Hardware Wallet and Shift Crypto for supporting this show uh, and for having such an awesome little product. Um, check it out. Got a 5% discount for you guys with code GUY. And then swanbitcoin.com. That's where you're going to get your Bitcoin to store on your Bitbox Hardware Wallet. You're going to go to swan, swanbitcoin.com slash GUY, and you're going to stack automatically every day, every week, whatever you want to do. Uh, and then you're going to automatic, automatically withdraw to your keys, and you'll learn why your keys are so important in this piece. Just a moment. Uh, and then lastly, if you're stuck in the fiat life still, if you have to use fiat, get sats back on it. Use the Fold debit card. 20% off Fold by going to guyswan.com slash Fold. Check it out. Code Bitcoin Audible. With that, let's jump into today's read. And it's titled... The Words We Use in Bitcoin by Dergigi Words, Language, Terminology, and Linguistic Attacks It can't be said often enough. Bitcoin is confusing. However, it's not complicated like a Rube Goldberg machine is complicated. It's just very foreign and thus very misunderstood. It is a completely new thing. There's nothing to relate it to, as Satoshi put it in one of his posts. 
Because there is nothing to relate it to, we are all having a hard time wrapping our heads around the various aspects of it. We need to use words if we want to talk about it in a meaningful way. And words are what I will focus on. I want to talk about two things. One, the language used in Bitcoin. And two, the language used to attack Bitcoin. Part 1. The language used in Bitcoin. Let's get one thing out of the way. It's all numbers, all the way down. Bitcoin does one thing that all computers do, which is actually two things. It takes certain numbers as inputs, does calculations, and presents the result of said calculations to someone else. In Bitcoin's case, this someone else is another node on the network, or multiple to be precise. When stripped down to its bare essentials, that's all there is to it. Math and messages. Consequently, we have to use metaphors, and lots of them. Keys, wallets, addresses, signatures, contracts, mining, dust, fork, oracle, orphan, seed, witness. The list goes on. However, here's the thing with metaphors. All metaphors are wrong, but some are useful, to paraphrase George Box. Undoubtedly, many people are confused precisely because of the shortcomings of these metaphors. All the labels that we apply to the various concepts in Bitcoin are wrong, at least a little bit. Some are wrong a lot. Everyone who ever tried to explain that your Bitcoins are not actually in your Bitcoin wallet to a glossy-eyed newbie knows what kind of confusion I'm talking about. Unfortunately, this confusion won't be going away anytime soon. And more worryingly, this confusion is being weaponized by legislators, politicians, and commentators alike. Those who despise Bitcoin are trying to pass laws and plant ideas in people's heads that are bastardizing how Bitcoin works, as well as the language we use to describe how it works. Consequently, it would be beneficial to get our language straight. After all, how high are the chances of understanding something deeply if the words we use to describe said thing are inadequate? First, let's go through some of the words we use in Bitcoin and see where they fall short. We all know these words, and we usually don't think twice about them. Let's start with wallet. Wallet. A wallet is a piece of software or hardware that makes it easier or more secure to store and or spend your Bitcoin. It's easy to see that a wallet is neither one thing nor easily defined. Just look at all the various forms of wallets we came up with over the years. Paper wallet, brain wallet, Hardware wallet, mobile wallet, multi-sig wallet, lightning wallet, watch-only wallet, and so on. In the end, we have to understand how Bitcoin operates if we want to get a grip on what a wallet is. Here is the gist of it. To create a Bitcoin transaction, you need to sign a message with a private key. Consequently, two things are essential for a wallet. Key storage and signing. But that's not enough, usually. To interact with the Bitcoin network, you need to interact with a Bitcoin node. You need a way to access the public information, the distributed ledger that is so often mentioned by finance and crypto bros alike. What we have historically called a Bitcoin wallet, thus, is just some software that manages and stores keys and allows the user to easily use these keys to sign and broadcast messages. 
To increase security, said software might be embedded in a dedicated hardware device. The more effort it is to spend your sats, the lower the risk of theft or loss of funds. A wallet might not have any signing capability at all, as is the case for brain, paper, or watch-only wallets. This begs the question, how useful is the term wallet? Interestingly, we have already switched to a different term when it comes to seed storage. We're not talking about metal wallets or metal keys when we talk about key storage. We usually talk about seed storage, metal seeds or seed plates nowadays. Further, we now refer to various multi-signature and time-lock constructs as vaults, a powerful and clear distinction. The vault metaphor makes it immediately obvious that whatever is stored in the vault is there for the long haul. It isn't spendable easily or quickly. I hope that in the future, we will also manage to do away with the generic wallet term. When it comes to hardware wallets, a change of terms is already underway. Given that a hardware wallet is nothing but a small device that is used for signing transactions, a more accurate term is signing device, which is currently gaining traction thanks to people who understand the technicalities of Bitcoin deeply. Maybe usage will morph so that whenever someone says wallet, it is implied that it is something that isn't holding massive amounts of value, and that said value is spent easily and quickly, as is the case for Lightning wallets. In the end, the wallet metaphor will always be wrong in a crucial way. Your wallet does not actually hold any of your coins. That's not how Bitcoin works. It might hold your keys. Which brings us to the next word. Key. In the physical world, a key is used to open something. A door, a chest, a locker, so on. It might also be used to start something, a car, a motorbike, a nuclear missile, you get the idea. As mentioned before, to create a Bitcoin transaction, you use your private key to sign a message. The keys in Bitcoin are cryptographic keys, and cryptographic keys can be used to create digital signatures. This, of course, only makes sense in the world of cryptography. Commonly, a key is used to lock and unlock things. If you want to sign something, you need a pin. This confusing metaphor is not exclusive to Bitcoin, of course. Plenty of other software uses cryptographic keys to sign stuff, which is why in 2010, this abomination of an emoji was introduced. The padlock locked with pin. Consequently, a key in Bitcoin is more like a pin, not an actual key. Granted, you can use your key to unlock sats that are locked by yourself or someone else, but still, no matter what metaphor you use, it will always fall short. It will always fall short because the keys in Bitcoin are data, nothing else. Your private keys are secret information, information that nobody but you should ever know. If someone else gets possession of your private keys, your Bitcoin will be their Bitcoin. To make theft or accidental spending as difficult as possible, keys that give access to large funds are held in cold storage. The secret information is disconnected from the internet, held on special signing devices that never touch a general computation device. A hot wallet, on the other hand, brings the secret information required to move your sats as close to the network as possible. If you want to spend frequently, your keys have to be readily available. A lightning wallet, for example, is a hot wallet. 
The private keys that allow you to spend your sats are connected to the internet at all times. If your computer or smartphone is compromised, your funds are at risk. Such are the trade-offs between hot wallets and cold storage. Hot and cold are again, of course, metaphors. A hot wallet is hot like a microphone in a recording studio is hot. It means that it's charged, fired up, and to be handled with care, not that its temperature actually increased. We can see that language is neither singular nor static, which makes the line between a useful metaphor and an outright linguistic attack a blurry one. The key metaphor, for example, isn't terribly wrong. We can actually think of signing as unlocking. The underlying elements responsible for spending sats are referred to as locking and unlocking scripts, and for good reason. These scripts are small computer programs that define the conditions that are required for certain sets of sats to move. You can think of it like this. Those who want to move sats have to solve a cryptographic puzzle. Usually a private key is required to fulfill the spending condition. The key is the key to the puzzle. So if we think key to the puzzle, it's not even wrong. And anyway, I'm afraid we're stuck with it. Two more things. The reason why your private key can be represented as words is that it is, just like everything else in Bitcoin, information. And the reason why we call these words a seed phrase is because your private key is the seed from which all of your other keys and ultimately addresses are derived from. This brings us to the next word, address. Address. This is probably the worst of all. To quote Luke Dasher, it's so bad we made a BIP to get rid of it. He's talking about BIP 179, a Bitcoin improvement proposal that's sole purpose is to propose a new term for address. The new term is invoice which is the default in Lightning and is actually more accurate, technically speaking, even on the base layer. It is more accurate because Bitcoin transactions do not have a from address, even though you might think they do, especially if your mind is poisoned with the address metaphor. The concept of a from address only exists heuristically. In Bitcoin, only receiving addresses exist. A transaction does not contain a from address. A transaction only contains the aforementioned scripts, which are challenges and solutions to challenges. If you can solve the challenge, you can move the coins. The way to think about this properly is to think about flows, not coins. Let's say you take a big scoop of water out of a lake, and let's further say that this lake is fed by multiple streams. It's a pristine lake in a mountainous region, so you fill up your bottle to cool yourself off with a refreshing drink. You sit down, take a sip, and ponder the following question. Where did the water in your bottle come from? From the lake, obviously, but from which stream? And how many molecules came from the clouds directly, raining down on the lake? Can you tell even in principle? A godlike entity probably could, since water consists of molecules and you could at least in theory track said molecules. You can understand Bitcoin and Bitcoin transactions in a similar way. Transactions can have multiple inputs and multiple outputs, i.e. inflows and outflows, to stick with the liquid metaphor. However, there is one important difference. There are no molecules in Bitcoin. There is only accounting. You can't track anything for sure. 
you can only make educated guesses, heuristics that are, in many cases, plain wrong. There are no molecules in Bitcoin because every transaction destroys, quote-unquote, all inputs and creates new outputs. If you are dead set on thinking about coins, in other words, if you view every UTXO as a coin of a different size, you can think about every transaction as a smelting process. All inputs are liquefied in a big furnace and new coins are created as outputs. This brings us to the next problematic metaphor. Coins. Coins. I always loved this quote by Peter Van Valkenburg, musing on the locality of Bitcoin or lack thereof. Quote, Where is it at this moment in transit? First, there are no Bitcoins. There just aren't. They don't exist. There are ledger entries in a ledger that's shared. They don't exist in any physical location. The ledger exists in every physical location, essentially. Geography doesn't make sense here. It is not going to help you figuring out your policy here. Peter Van Valkenburg What we call coins only exist by convention. The protocol is oblivious to our notion of coins. It only knows sats and spent or unspent transaction outputs. Spent outputs are inputs of past transactions. The sum of one or multiple outputs adds up to 100 million sats, we call it one Bitcoin. Of course, it is way easier to talk about coins and addresses and wallets because we know these things intimately from our real-world experience. We have an intuitive understanding of these metaphors, so it is clear what is happening if one coin moves from one wallet to another wallet, or so we think. While the mental image of coins moving from one wallet to the next in an intuitive, easy-to-understand manner is a comforting one, nevertheless, it is wrong. What happens under the hood in Bitcoin is much more wonderful, much more elegant, and much more magical than boomer gold coins moving from one leather purse to the next. It has to be. Bitcoin is information, not a physical thing. It is teleported at the speed of light, not moved in any physical sense. It is magic internet money for a reason, and I'm afraid that we all have to understand its inner workings to a certain degree, especially if we want to be properly equipped to fight against any and all linguistic attacks, present and future. Part 2. The Language Used to Attack Bitcoin Let's pause right here. Hit our sponsor and we will jump back in. And that sponsor is Swan Bitcoin. Actually, somebody asked me today, what do they need to do to get into Bitcoin? They felt intimidated. Um, uh, it's just somebody I'm working with uh, on the house stuff. And rightfully so. You know, it seems it's hard to get into Bitcoin. Um, well, it's unfamiliar, at least. And, you know, Gigi talks about it in this piece, actually, a lot of reasons why it feels that way. It's alien, right? Um and it can be intimidating. Swan Bitcoin literally makes it as easy as you can get. Um, it, you're not going to be trading. You're not going to have a bunch of noise about shit coins. Like They break it down to as simple as possible, and they have Swan Private to literally walk you through uh, you know, any questions that you have, how to use a hardware wallet, uh, how to you know, connect your business accounts or IRAs and retirement accounts. Um, they, they literally have the whole package. They are a Bitcoin 
explaining, onboarding. Uh, they are always, their team is awesome. They are always there to help. They're just the best entryway to Bitcoin, in my opinion. I, I've been recommending them and using them for ages. I use them to automatically buy every week, and it automatically withdraws to my keys. I don't have to do anything. Uh, they have great blog, uh, great educational stuff. They have great Twitter spaces, everything. It's just, it's just a good company. You should use them, period. So that's my pitch today. Go to swanbitcoin.com guy and check them out. Part 2. The Language Used to Attack Bitcoin Bitcoin is under attack, always. Money is adversarial by nature because money is used between parties that aren't fully trusting each other in the first place. Consequently, a monetary system is an adversarial system. Everyone would love to have something for nothing, to cheat the system and get away with it. Everyone's a scammer. Everyone wants to get some sats for free. Bitcoin is the biggest honeypot the world has ever seen. Everyone and their grandma would love to break it. Further, the powers that be are, at least in part, powerful because of the fiat money printers that are rendered obsolete by the orange coin. Attacking Bitcoin becomes a necessary strategy if your very survival is threatened by it. But what parts of Bitcoin to attack? It is difficult to nail down what Bitcoin is and what it consists of in the first place. I like to think of it as a big hot mess of two parts software and two parts hardware, or wetware to be more precise. A mix of technology and biology, with a large dash of economics on top. Viewed in this light, that Bitcoin is made up of ideas, people, code, and nodes, it is easy to see that some attacks would be more obvious than others. An obvious attack would be a software exploit that shuts down a large number of Bitcoin nodes, for example. An even more obvious one would be a large-scale attack on its physical infrastructure. If the foundries that produce the current generation of SHA-256 ASIC chips are bombed, or various large-scale mining operations go up in flames, we can confidently say that Bitcoin is under attack. In the same vein, if Bitcoiners are declared the enemy of the state and are incarcerated or killed in mass, we can also deduce that Bitcoin is under attack. But how do you attack an idea? With bad ideas, that's how. The civil war of the block size debate was such an attack on Bitcoin from the inside, and its resolution was a hard fork, an economic instantiation of said idea. In addition to attacks from the inside, we already had many attacks from the outside. Almost as soon as Bitcoin appeared, it was attacked by politicians, central bankers, traditional investors wedded to the fiat system, as well as the economically and technically illiterate. We've heard it all before. Bitcoin is only used by criminals. Bitcoin is worthless. Bitcoin's value is based on pure speculation. Bitcoin is old technology, Bitcoin is too slow, Bitcoin is a bubble, and so on and so forth. Allow me to highlight some of the more recent terms and phrases dreamt up by those who hang on the tits of various money printers, whether it be politicians, special interest groups, or crypto bros. Unhosted wallet. Two words, one goal. Pushing users away from sound money and independence into something that we all know too well from the fiat system, trust and dependency. 
The inconspicuous nature of this phrase is what makes this attack so ingenious. Calling a regular Bitcoin wallet unhosted gives the impression that it should be hosted in the first place, that something is missing from how it should be, like an unfinished puzzle or an unsupported beam. The discussion shouldn't be around hosting in the first place. It should be about control. Who can access your funds? Who can freeze your account? Who is the master and who is the slave? Just like the cloud is someone else's computer, a hosted wallet is someone else's wallet. It should be obvious that the centralization of control is what brought about all the monetary problems in the first place, but I'm afraid that we will have to learn the lessons of history and the lessons of Mt. Gox over and over and over again. Money held and controlled by others can and will be manipulated. We do not want to make this mistake again, which is why the following became a mantra of sorts. Not your keys, not your Bitcoin. Bitcoin wallets are supposed to be unhosted, or to use a word that wasn't made up by devilish puppeteers, independent. The purpose of Bitcoin is to bring full sovereignty to the individual and to remove all dependencies on trusted third parties. No rulers, no masters, no hosts, only peers. Instead of using the term unhosted wallet, one could refer to regular Bitcoin wallets as independent or freedom wallets. The opposite of an independent wallet is a custodial service, which means that you have a permission slip, nothing more. By using a custodial service, you destroy what makes Bitcoin valuable in the first place. You revert to the permissioned model of money, a debt relationship between masters and slaves, which is the fiat system we want to move away from. Some have all the power, the users have none. Such a custodial service, a service that they want you to refer to as a hosted wallet, but what might be better described as a slave wallet, offers nothing but IOUs, permission slips and debt certificates that can be revoked, multiplied, reissued, and destroyed at any time. The slave has nothing. The master has everything. Make no mistake, this is a war of narratives, and the stakes couldn't be higher. Freedom versus dependency. Control versus self-ownership. Reliance versus responsibility. If anything, a wallet should be self-hosted, and self-hosting is not a crime. However, we shouldn't think of hosts in the first place. A wallet does not need to be hosted, because a wallet, as we've seen previously, is nothing but a key. Private information combined with hardware or software that allows you to do something with said key. For example, derive addresses or sign transactions. Having 12 words in your head doesn't make you the owner of an unhosted brain wallet. That's ridiculous. You don't need permission to remember 12 words by heart, and any law that makes the act of remembering 12 words illegal is a very, very, very stupid law. But even ignoring this stupidity for a moment, such a law can't possibly be enforced. It should be rendered meaningless as soon as it is passed, you can't prove that I have 12 words in my head, just like I can't prove that you are not thinking about an orange elephant at this very moment. Holding a key 
is knowing a secret. And here is the thing about secrets. If you don't tell, nobody knows. Letting someone else hold your keys destroys all the benefits that Bitcoin brings with it. If others could be trusted with our money, we wouldn't have needed Bitcoin in the first place. And if nobody takes the responsibility of self-custody, Bitcoin will be captured, just like gold before it. Consequently, the term unhosted wallet is an attack on Bitcoin that we should take seriously along with the implications that a successful ban would entail. It is a most ingenious and mischievous attack, subtle yet effective, reframing what a wallet is and should be. The fact that someone sat down and came up with this phrase makes me think that the powers that be are starting to grasp what Bitcoin is and how empowering it truly is, which is why they will do everything they can to keep you numb, dependent, and enslaved. They want more for themselves and less for everybody else, to quote George Carlin. They don't want well-informed, well-educated people capable of critical thinking. Ask yourself, should flipping a coin 256 times be illegal? What about math? What about having certain thoughts? Do we really want to live in a world in which having 12 words in your head makes you an outlaw? Hashtag change the code. Another phrase, another implication. The change the code campaign is ingenious. You have to give them that. It implies that Bitcoin's code can't be changed, which couldn't be further from the truth. Bitcoin is free and open source software released under the MIT license. This means that anyone can change the code, Greenpeace or not, without having to ask for permission. Allow me to replicate the license in full. Quote, Permission is hereby granted free of charge to any person obtaining a copy of this software and associated documentation files, the quote software, to deal in the software without restriction, including without limitation, the rights to use, copy, modify, merge, publish, distribute, sublicense, and or sell copies of the software, and to permit persons to whom the software is furnished to do so, subject to the following conditions. The above copyright notice and this permission notice shall be included in all copies or substantial portions of the software. Anyone is and always was free to change the code of Bitcoin. Bitcoin's free and open source nature is why we have thousands of forks and clones in the first place, including forks that implement what change the code campaigners are proposing. While this whole campaign to change the code shouldn't be taken seriously in the first place, the tactics behind it shed some light on the attacker's motivation and on what is yet to come. Change the Code was funded by Chris Larson, founder of Ripple, the company that created the shitcoin that is XRP. These kinds of shitcoins can't compete with Bitcoin on merit because they are permissioned, centralized, and have no reliable monetary policy, among other things. Consequently, they have to resort to smear campaigns and hiring reputational hitmen. The thing about money is that all forms of money are competing, either directly or indirectly. All monies compete for liquidity, credibility, attention, value stored, and more. Consequently, the marketing departments of virtually all shitcoins are directing funds to dismiss or attack Bitcoin in one way or another by implying that Bitcoin can't be changed 
that it is used for illicit activity, or that it is too slow or wasteful. Bitcoin, however, is neither slow nor wasteful. Proof of work is insanely efficient if your goal is to create a monetary system that is free from politics and secured in a public and transparent manner. If you do not value such a system, it will always seem wasteful. This, coincidentally, brings us to the next attack. Proof of stake. Let's get one thing out of the way. There is no proof. There is no stake. And it isn't even remotely comparable to its namesake, proof of work. I have written extensively about proof of work in the past, so in the interest of not trying to repeat myself ad nauseum, I'll try to be brief. Proof of work solved the problem of telling time in a decentralized system, the problem of random selection, the problem of fair issuance, and the problem of unforgeable costliness in the digital realm. It embeds objective truth into a blob of data directly, which is why it is trustless and reliable. The information, quote, speaks for itself, to quote Satoshi. Proof of stake, on the other hand, has no objective truth, no objective time, no random selection, no fair issuance, no outside cost, no operational cost, and centralizes over time. It is the perpetual motion machine of consensus mechanisms, which is to say that it isn't a consensus mechanism at all. It is rotten at its core because it relies on trust through and through. Proof of stake should be called just trust me bro, and therein lies the problem, as well as the linguistic trickery. By calling it proof of stake, one might think that it is comparable to proof of work. Ah, this one is just like the other one. Just another one of those consensus mechanisms just as good as Bitcoin's proof of work. No, wrong. Proof of stake is make-believe, and it will inevitably lead to all the ills that the make-believe world of the fiat monetary system suffers from, as the various failures of these systems show time and time again. Conclusion Words have meanings, which is why we should choose them wisely and carefully. Bitcoin is not wasteful. Bitcoin is not closed source. Bitcoin is not controlled by shadowy supercoders. Bitcoin is not war. And ASIC is not a gun. If anything, Bitcoin is a Wittgensteinian language game using words and chance for peaceful conflict resolution. Allocation follows perception, as does public policy. Perception in turn is shaped by our understanding and the very words we use to arrive at and describe said understanding. In a world awash in euphemisms and blatant lies, calling something by its proper name is rebellious in itself. Bitcoin is about freedom and self-sovereignty, not about asking for permission. It is about independence and verifiable truth, extreme ownership and responsibility, hope and human rights. The best way to fight bad ideas and bad terminology is with good ideas and good terminology. Thus, we should all make an effort to call things by their proper names, try to understand their inner workings, and explain them in simple terms to others. Bitcoin isn't as complicated as it might seem at first. It is just very alien, 
which is why all metaphors we use to describe it break down at some point. As we have seen, wallets, keys, addresses, coins, and many other words we use are insufficient to truly explain what is going on. The confusion which inevitably arises out of this misunderstanding is used and abused by Bitcoin's detractors, be it from the Church of Fiat or the Cult of Crypto. Obviously, Honey Badger don't care when it comes to most of these attacks. Bitcoin will march on regardless. But that doesn't mean that we should give in to the various narratives and framings that are set up by those who want to control and oppress, or those who want to make a quick buck. Bitcoin is made of people, and it is individual people that will suffer, either from short-sighted regulations, economic repercussions, poisonous snake oil, or rug-pull-induced concussions. Bitcoin is a return to sanity, one that is desperately needed in the insane world of QE infinity and negative interest rates. The tragicomedy of our current financial system reads like the introduction to a game show. Whose deficit is it anyway? An economy where everything is made up and the points don't matter. The points in Bitcoin do matter, as do the words that we use to describe it. Bitcoin is truthful and precise in its speech, and we should strive to be too. So on, this was a great piece. Um, I, I really, Gigi always really just knocks it out of the park, honestly. Um, he's just an excellent read all the time. Uh, but uh, this is also just like a really important, like I like how much he expanded on this this idea just because we do have a lot of misconception. I mean, I get caught up. It's hard not to think about a Bitcoin wallet as a wallet when you refer to it as a wallet all the freaking time. But it's funny, I actually had to explain to somebody the other day, somebody was asking me a specific question and I and basically telling them that it was a wallet kind of confused the situation. And, and I realized why, you know, as soon as he dug into asking what, what he was, uh, you know, what he was running into, and so I used an analogy, which I think works pretty good, um, that uh, to try to understand why it's not a wallet, why the hardware wallet isn't really where your coins are being stored, but it's a signing device. And, and I like that, that that terminology has kind of arisen and started to gain popularity, and I, I think we should probably lean heavily into that, um, even if it does make it even more confusing for people. But, you know, a Bitcoin transaction is basically just like you can write a Bitcoin transaction with anything without a signature just by looking at data on the chain. Like you can just look at the time chain, you can look at Bitcoin and you can write up any sort of transaction that you want. It's just a format. It's like a check, except that the check is not valid without the signature and the signature, the you know, the proof that you have the key. Um, I just like it. You know, they say it's a signing device. That's what your hardware wallet does. Uh, it keeps your key safe. Uh, that you are, you know, solving the puzzle. Uh, you're proving this signature so that the check is actually valid. And the check just refers to the previous check. It doesn't refer to an account that has a balance in it. It doesn't refer to, uh, you know, you know, if 10 people wrote checks to, um, uh, to the same quote-unquote account, the same address... Well, it doesn't, all it does is dictate which signature is valid on the next check, the check that refers to it. But the check never goes to an account. 
It literally just re references the previous checks, and you have to spend all of them to get the one transaction that you're trying to get out of it. So I, I love the analogy he used is that you are actually... Each UTXO could be thought of as a coin. So if you send 1.3 Bitcoin somewhere, well, that one UTXO is uh, that address is just determining uh, which script needs to be fulfilled, or it's the it's the lock side of the script and the stipulations as to you know the check the check details as to who can spend it next, and uh, uh, you have to you have to unlock the entire thing. Like, basically, that 1.2 Bitcoin is just a whole thing. It's one thing, and you have to spend the whole thing. It's like a bill, like a $100 bill. You can't break it up, right? Like, $100, you have to spend a whole $100 bill, and you have to get change. Um, I can't just, like, tear off some of my $100 bill and give it to you. The UTXOs in Bitcoin, the, the previous transactions, are the same way. You have a full balance of the details of the transaction, and you have to spend that whole thing. That's why you have that you've probably heard the term change address is that you spend some of it you obviously you don't necessarily need to be spending a whole 1.2 bitcoin if that's what the previous check sent to you um or locked with the with the, uh, your signature being the only way to unlock it um and uh so you have to let's say you want to send 0.1 bitcoin forward well you spend 0.1 of it uh, to, or you, good God, see, so many different terminologies that kind of confuse what's actually happening. Uh, you are writing a check for the point one and referencing the check with the full amount, but you have to write in another check back to yourself, back to a signature that you control with the remaining 1.1 Bitcoin, because you've smelted the whole thing and now you've created two new coins. You have to do something with that other gold. Literally, if you don't do anything with it, you don't do anything with those other Bitcoin, and you don't write yourself a change address, it all goes to the miners. It's just basically paid in a fee. And because of people manually doing this in the past, like tinkering with stuff, people have literally paid giant fees to miners mistakenly. In fact, I think somebody did it with like 20 Bitcoin or something at one point, where they were just trying to send like a test transaction that they had written themselves with like 0.01 Bitcoin. They were trying to be safe and spend just a little bit of it. And all of the rest of the Bitcoin in the address went to the miners, you know, as a fee. Uh, but luckily, he, he would, they were actually able to beg the mining pool that mined the Bitcoin to give it back to them. And they did, in fact, give it back to them. So they got their coins back. But that's an easy way that a misunderstanding about how Bitcoin works can really screw you. So much just the, the terminology can be dangerous. And the unhosted wallet thing is the one that's just been stuck in my head recently. And, you know, I like uh, Gigi's idea of making an independent wallet or a freedom wallet. Uh, that's a little bit too much. It reminds me of Freedom Fries or something. But uh, I like the idea of making sure that we are founded in our own terminology. Do not let them dictate the terminology that we use because that that idea that there is that is unhosted making it so that the the adapted wallet the wallet with a negative uh a modifier on it is the normal wallet suggests that it shouldn't be that that is really that's really nasty um that's, that's that is politics at its finest or worst however you want to frame that but I don't even know if I like the idea independent wallet because it's like too much. 
You know, I almost just want to, like, I'm going to call it a user wallet. That's all it is. It's just a user wallet. Like, and it's not a wallet. It's a, it's user keys. It's user ownership. It's individual ownership. You're outlawing the ownership of Bitcoin. That's what you're doing. Like, I want the, the language to be so basic, to be so obvious as to what it is, that they can't, they can't outlaw it without saying, we are outlawing all users. You know, like, like that's, that's what it needs to be, is that we're outlawing peers on the Bitcoin network. So, I don't know. We should think on that. Maybe independent wallet is the, is the easiest thing, but man, we need to destroy the term unhosted. That is some bullshit. Honestly, I don't even have many comments on the rest of this. This rest of it just kind of, he kind of speaks for himself, uh, or it, it speaks for itself. Um, uh, this, he really kind of knocked this one out of the park. Um, pretty simple explanation. I think, like, I love the conclusion and stuff, how he just kind of, like, gets it, like, call, call shit its proper name. You know, taxation is theft. You know, like, like that, the framing is so important because it can manipulate how we think about things. And how we think about things is everything. It's how we relate to it in the real world. It's, it's how we, it is what allows the, the insane amounts of gaslighting and just propping up the lies throughout society today and throughout our culture because they are able to rope us into these, this bad terminology and this awful framing that obscures basic utter truths. And there are consequences of that. A falsity, a falsehood is a falsehood because it has consequences, because it matters whether or not we are right or wrong. And as Gigi says in this piece, and as I say all the time, none of this is about asking for permission. None of this is about permission. We are building this to replace the bullshit that has broken everything. We do not have to ask permission to fix something that someone else has broken, and we certainly don't have to ask the perpetrator who broke it. The best way to fight bad ideas and bad terminology is good ideas and good terminology. Explain and be clear about what Bitcoin is and what it does. And proof of stake, you know, like go into the proof of stake. You know, I know I've talked about proof of stake a million times on this show. Um, and I mean, I'm sure there are people new here that are like, oh, what, really? Um, but uh, uh, yeah, there's just go search proof of stake or... or God, I don't even know. I've got so many episodes where I've just dug into that. Probably every proof of work episode talks about proof of stake. Um, but to put it simply, proof of stake is not a consensus mechanism. Um, and even, oh God, Nick Carter talked about this, like that it like works in a centralized context. And it doesn't even in that, honestly. Um, like, like I, I've not really kept up with all the Nick Carter drama, so I won't um, commentate on that right now. Um, I still love his work on proof of work and about the mining stuff. Uh, still recommend his writings in the past. No idea what he invested in that everybody's so mad about. Um, I'll find out. <laughs> maybe I'll maybe I'll do an episode to talk about it. But his I did see a comment that was getting tweeted around about how he's like proof of stake does work. It just doesn't do what proof of work does. But honestly, I don't even think it does. I just don't think it's a consensus mechanism. Like it's it's a facade of decentralization on a centralized and a necessarily centralized means of consensus like that's why there are checkpoints 
Every look, look up any consent, any quote unquote proof of stake consensus mechanism, and they have checkpoints. And not only that, they usually have checkpoints that are insanely shallow. They're like 10 minute checkpoints or like hourly checkpoints or something crazy like that. And there's good reason. There's good reason because there's no real sense of time. You can make as many proof of stake, alternative proof of stake chains with alternative histories. And it, as quickly as your computer can generate them. And there's no proof of work, so it doesn't take any time. Proof of stake is using, like even in the context of like a stock or an equity, it doesn't make sense. Because the top shareholder of Apple should not dictate the ledger of who bought and sold Apple stock. That doesn't make any sense to me that the people who own the stock are the ones determining who owns the stock. Like the history... The history of who has traded the stock and what addresses were sent to and signatures, blah, 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 like all of that stuff is the, the, the ledger of ownership. It is who has the stake and that is being referenced to determine the truth of itself. I, I don't know. I just It just seems fun, philosophical. The reason it runs into so many problems and the reason it has to have like this Rube Goldberg machine of caveats and you know fail safes and checkpoints and all of this stuff is because it just doesn't work i agree with gg it's the perpetual motion machine of consensus mechanisms but i'm not gonna i don't know why i got into that um we're not gonna do that whole spiel again on this show uh, i've gone into it in detail many times on this show now there is something in this article that you did not get because you uh, were listening to it and you didn't have, there's an embedded video from George Carlin uh, from his 2005 special, Life is Worth Losing. And it's a really epic animation. I've seen it before at some point, I'd forgotten about it, um, but it's excellent. So we're gonna close this episode out with the audio from that video, just because, I don't know, you should hear it, it's cool. And that's what I'm gonna leave you guys with. Uh, thank you to Gigi for this excellent article, as always. Um, and thank you to the Bitbox Hardware Wallet, to Swan Bitcoin, the best way to onboard into Bitcoin, and then Fold, the fiat debit card that pays you in sats. Sats back on freaking everything. It's amazing. Show notes uh, have the links and discounts to all this great stuff. All right, with that, I will catch you on the next episode of Bitcoin Audible. I am Guy Swan, and I will let George Carlin take the final word. This thing is pretty epic, so enjoy. Till next time, guys. Take it easy. There's a reason education sucks, and it's the same reason that it will never, ever, ever be fixed. It's never going to get any better. Don't look for it. Be happy with what you got. Because the owners of this country don't want that. I'm talking about the real owners now. The real owners, the big wealthy business interests that control things and make all the important decisions. Forget the politicians. The politicians are put there to give you the idea that you have freedom of choice. You don't. You have no choice. You have owners. They own you. They own everything. They own all the important land. They own and control the corporations. They've long since bought and paid for the Senate, the Congress, the state houses, the city halls. They got the judges in their back pockets. And they own all the big media companies, so they control just about all of the news and information you get to hear. They got you by the balls. They, they spend billions of dollars every year lobbying, lobbying to get what they want. 
Well, we know what they want. They want more for themselves and less for everybody else. But I'll tell you what they don't want. They don't want a population of citizens capable of critical thinking. They don't want well-informed, well-educated people capable of critical thinking. They're not interested in that. That doesn't help them. That's against their interest. That's right. They don't want people who are smart enough to sit around the kitchen table to figure out how badly they're getting fucked by a system that threw them overboard 30 fucking years ago. They don't want that. You know what they want? They want obedient workers. Obedient workers. People who are just smart enough to run the machines and do the paperwork and just dumb enough to passively accept all these increasingly shittier jobs with the lower pay, the longer hours, the reduced benefits, the end of overtime, and the vanishing pension that disappears the minute you go to collect it. And now they're coming for your Social Security money. They want your fucking retirement money. They want it back so they can give it to their criminal friends on Wall Street. And you know something? They'll get it. They'll get it all from you sooner or later because they own this fucking place. It's a big club, and you ain't in it. You and I are not in the big club. By the way, it's the same big club they used to beat you over the head with all day long when they tell you what to believe. All day long, beating you over the head in their media, telling you what to believe, what to think, and what to buy. The table is tilted, folks. The game is rigged. And nobody seems to notice. Nobody seems to care. Good, honest, hard-working people, white collar, blue collar, doesn't matter what color shirt you have on. Good, honest, hard-working people continue. These are people of modest means. Continue to elect these rich cocksuckers who don't give a fuck about them. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't care about you at all. At all. At all. Yeah. You know? And nobody seems to notice, nobody seems to care. That's what the owners count on, the fact that Americans will probably remain willfully ignorant of the big red, white, and blue dick that's being jammed up their assholes every day. Because the owners of this country know the truth. It's called the American dream, because you have to be asleep to believe it. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.